Justice Tech Pros here. Uh, lately, we've been getting some really positive feedback. The last two episodes uh, with the experts on really have uh, raised some eyebrows, and I've been getting some tremendous emails as such, just basically stating that the um, episodes were appreciated. There was a lot of things that individuals weren't aware of and how things play out. And honestly, to me, that just shows, unfortunately, how the public is unaware of these things. And it is a shame because the public is the jury. So without coming across podcasts that are similar or information that's similar, they would never know these things. And there they'll be sitting on trial, selected for trial, and uh, pretty much going off of whatever is being painted in front of them without having any insight of their own because they just weren't aware of specific topics as it relates to uh, forensics and tools that are used and how bias could be introduced in using those tools and it would greatly impact the uh, trial and impact the defendants in front of uh, the jurors. My hope is that as time goes by and more episodes are put out, on this format at least and at this platform, that those listening will gain the insight they need and will uh, have an eye-opening experience where it relates to this type of information, just to give them a little uh, background on what takes place and what goes on. Because it is important, uh, because as we already discussed in past episodes, the whole innocent to proven guilty is a bunch of nonsense in plain English. I mean, that's just the way it goes. So all defendants are already starting out behind the eight ball and um, fighting an uphill battle from the second they're indicted. And they're already dealing with that predetermined prejudice that if they're sitting in front of, they're sitting in court, they're guilty of something. And it's unfortunate, but that's reality. Regardless of what the system says, that's the reality of it. So a defendant has to fight all those things from inception and their, their family and and so on. Uh, this is our 20th episode, which I'm happy about as well. Um, you know, things are flowing pretty nicely. I think the topics are uh, flowing into one another. And I think on the grand scale of, th- grand scale of things, it's creating a good atmosphere in the sense that people are starting to understand the entire picture. And I, and I don't believe it's coming across as a, um, at least I hope it's not coming across as somebody on their, you know, soapbox just trying to promote agenda. Uh, I try to look at things in an analytical sense and in a logical sense uh, using common sense. And I, and I truly hope that's what's coming across. Um, a couple other things with this episode. There's really going to be no theme. It's really just a few things uh, that I've experienced. I've been uh, busy with work and busy with... Um, Uh, different cases, and uh, a few things personally, you know, that's been uh, going on that I wanted to kind of just discuss a little bit about. Uh, One thing is recently Ruckus Radio, which I really admire the guy Rich, I got to say, whenever he does a story which he feel could uh, impact myself or or family, he, he always tries to give me a heads up about it, you know, and Obviously, my first reaction is I don't want any stories uh, read or talked about that affects a family, you know, a family uh, member or or members of a family or anybody that I think would get affected by hearing or reading information about their lives. And and 
that's just with anybody. I mean, I don't think anybody or any family members who are going through something that's playing out in the media really want to read about it and hear about it. You know, they, they say a lot of the uh, authors say things that are inaccurate. They say things that by being inaccurate, it's frustrating because you just want to, you know, redline the entire article and say, this is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, this is inaccurate. But it truly doesn't matter because they're getting it out, they're circulating it. So what I try to do to counteract that, because too long, you know, the um, tone has been just sit back and take it. I'm just, that's not my character, just to take things when they're inaccurate, you know. Uh, if they if they have truth in it, so be it. It is what it is. But if, if they're completely filled with falsities, I like to do what I can to address that. And Rich, I got to say, you know, he has um, he has a good character in the sense he tries to just give me a heads up and ask my opinion if I want it read. Now, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't even want certain things written in the first place because you want to give the family some peace and you want to just, you know, they're going through hard times. It is what it is and they don't need online media outlets um, regurgitating it and talking about it and giving insight. But that's not a reality. That's just how it goes. You know, everybody accepts that. That's just uh, the nature of the beast. So once it's out there, uh, I got to say, at least uh, Rich does offer the opportunity. And I thank him for that. I want to thank you, Rich, for that. That's, um, in my opinion, that's a very classy move. And and, uh, it is appreciated all around. But unfortunately, there's just no... No stopping those type of things. They're going to circulate. They're going to get out there. So I try to do my best just to address it if I do have the opportunity. And if things are inaccurate, I try to point them out. And hopefully some people understand that. You know, when they when they read these things or hear these things, they do understand that there's, you know, the old saying, there's three sides to every story, his, her, and the truth. So even if, you know, you don't want to take my my side or whoever's affected side in believing what what the facts are, you should try to go somewhere in the middle, you know, and um, just weigh that when you come across all the different type of information. And also just keep in mind that there are families that are affected by these things, you know, and uh, I wish the uh, journalists and the authors would factor that in and would try to just make sure before they put anything out, they get their facts in order. And they don't, a lot of times you'll see snarky remarks and digs and comments like that, which are frustrating to deal with, but... Again, that's the nature of the beast. There's nothing you could do about that. That's just how society operates. And they like to get their headlines. They like to sell their papers. And that's just the way it goes. You know, the general public is interested in certain topics and they want to learn about it. And I guess I have no problem with that because that's just society. But where I have a problem is when facts are misconstrued and things are misstated and things are inaccurate and they try to paint somebody in a, in a poor light or they try to give somebody second uh, guesses about decisions that impact their life, and that's you know not cool. For uh, yeah, I don't have a better way of putting it, but it's just not cool. It's not the proper way to do things, but it's done. So it is what it is on that level. Uh, I, I, again, I just I wanted to take a couple minutes to thank Rich from Ruckus Radio Podcast. And if you don't listen to it, it's um, he has segments on that podcast, which are interesting, where he uh, reads different stories and different articles. One item I was thinking about, a topic, is I get a lot of emails about 
uh, victims that are in jail innocently. And, you know, they shouldn't be there. And I was thinking to myself, the flip side of that coin, you know, when it, when an actual victims are also affected, you know, if somebody's accused of murder or somebody's accused of some heinous act and say they're innocent and they're in jail, there's still the, the more important fact or equally important fact, I should say, that there were actual victims of those cases and families. And it must be so confusing and really terrible for the families on the other side of that. As terrible it is for uh, those who are facing the system and facing with being put away in jail or, or being accused of something they didn't commit, you have the, the family of the victims on the other end. And they're probably confused. I mean, you have a uh, prosecution team, a state team, that's telling them they have the person, this is the person guilty. And obviously the family's going to be filled with hatred and, and animosity and, and pure disgust with these defendants. And if the person's innocent, it's just a terrible mess that, you know, the prosecution, the state, the, the, the U.S. attorneys are creating because they're painting somebody, they're really not giving closure to the affected victims' families. You know, if they have somebody who's not guilty of something and they're drilling in the head that they are, it's really just a horrible situation to be in because, you know, I really feel terrible for the families. They're not getting any closure. They're sold that this defendant's guilty. And then if they are innocent, you know, things are reversed, but the family was so ingrained to believe that that person was guilty, they think that justice failed them. And that's such a flawed system to have that. You know, it's really a terrible thing. My heart really goes out to people who've experienced that on both ends. And they're not to blame at all. Who's to blame are the ones bringing the charges, the ones who are going and getting the indictment without having the facts together. And today, with all the technology and all the tools, all the forensic aspect, that really should never happen. And I'm noticing it's happening when you have targets, as we spoke about, when they're trying to target somebody, or they just you have an overzealous uh, prosecutor, U.S. attorney, uh, who, who's just trying to close a case at all costs, not really taking into account the flaws that exist, but are more driven by the opportunity to get a win under their belt. And that's a really dangerous combination. And how do you stop that? There's really no way of stopping that. I mean, you know, that's that's somebody's nature. If that's who they are as a person, they don't want to look at the facts. They just want to look at the headlines and they want to look at the convictions and they want to look at making sure whoever's in front of them is guilty. There's no way of stopping that. The only stop you have is on the defense side to prove that your client is innocent and to do your best to do that. And it, it just goes back to the, the state, the government. They don't really have to prove the person's guilty. It's not how it works. It's the other way around. You got to prove your client's innocent. They walk in the courtroom, they're guilty. Now you have to fight it and reverse the thought process of the jurors, of the public, of the judge. It's a huge battle. And people don't grasp that. You know, they we touched on this on the uh, on a prior episode about how they just come in there and they they assume the individual in front of them is guilty. And when you reverse it, because you know, if you look at it from that standpoint, that would be a whole different ballgame. You know, people would get a fair trial if that's how it really worked. But it's the reality of it's reversed. 
And when it's reversed, it's 10 times harder to get justice because you have to overcome so much. You have to undo the damage done before you even start trial. All the headlines, all the talking, all the online groups, all the online gossip, all the comments and all social media, you have to undo all that. All of that prior prejudice you have to undo. And I was reading an article that a colleague posted on um, LinkedIn. And uh, it, it ties into a whole theme of no accountability and how they ruin people's lives. The, the headline, it came from the Daily Beast. Uh, it actually came out yesterday, February 4th, 2020. And the headline was, DA says couple accused of drugging and raping up to a thousand women did no such thing. XDA made it all up. <clears throat> so now without even reading the whole article... I'll read certain excerpts just to give you a picture. A California prosecutor is dropping all charges against a doctor and his girlfriend, alleging that his predecessor manufactured allegations that the woman drugged, <clears throat> that the couple drugged and sexually assaulted up to a thousand winning women. The stunning turn of events comes a year and a half after the case against Grant Rabashow. I hope I'm saying that properly an orthopedic surgeon who appeared on the TV show The Online Dating Rituals of the American Male and substitute teacher Carissa Riley exploded into the headlines. So basically you have a, a new prosecutor come in looking at this case and figured out that it's a nonsense case. That they ruin these people's lives because of an overzealous, ill-informed prior prosecutor. It goes on to say the prior pro the prior district attorney and his chief of staff manufactured this case and repeatedly misstated the evidence to lead the public and vulnerable women to believe that these two individuals plied up to a thousand women with drugs and alcohol in order to sexually assault them and videotape the assaults. As a result, the complete case review I ordered beginning in July, we now know that there was not a single video or photograph depicting an unconscious or incapacitated woman being sexually assaulted. I mean, <clears throat> and that goes to show they get out there, they, they give these statements that are, are wrong. They say they have certain evidence that's not accurate. And I've experienced that firsthand. You know, they'll get in bail hearings. And they'll say they have all this evidence that's just not accurate. But then it's on you to try to prove that. In this case, you actually have a prosecutor who seems that, just from reading this, this guy really is, he believes in the justice system. I mean, I commend him for going in there, looking at the facts and saying there's no case here. These people are being wrongfully uh, accused and then dropping it. That's what you need. It's like I always say, regardless of your opinion on prosecutors, if you have somebody who's fair and just, that's all you want. You want them on the side of the law, going by what's fair, going by what's what's just, and making decisions based on that. If you don't have the evidence, there's no case, get rid of it. Rather than force the evidence and twist things and then constantly try to clean up any mistakes you made. And the pair's uh, attorney, you know, he says it. The, the mere filing of this case has destroyed irreparably two lives. And that's the truth. I can only imagine being accused of something that heinous when it's not true. That Your life's over. Every time you Google this, uh, their names and you search, all those kind of headlines are going to come up and you'll probably have to, 
you know, sort through those headlines to find this article that says they were 100% innocent. So imagine they go for a job or, I don't know, they're opening a business and somebody Googles his name and all, all of those things come up about them raping a thousand women. Their lives are ruined. And where's the accountability for that? Thankfully, the char- charges were dropped, but that doesn't make up for anything. They should have never been brought in the first place. And I can only imagine the money they went for, the aggravation, the heartache. I'm sure they had a a big problem, family dynamic, uh, those on the side who may have believed they were guilty, those who didn't. It's stunning that this takes place in society today with all of the technology we have and the ability to to go through. And, And a lot of it has to do with they don't release certain evidence. You know, we spoke about this on our last episode um, with Andrew Garrett and Patrick Eller, how they don't release the discovery to the defense because if the defense probably had this from day one, they could have pulled up, you know, they they, they, they they give the discovery, don't get me wrong, but it's in drips and drabs. You know, you get parts and sometimes you don't get it all. It's a fight from day one. But common sense would tell me you get indicted, you should get the discovery immediately. Immediately. You need to know what you're dealing with. And and a lot of it's a ton of information, a lot of overwhelming information. So you want to dive into it right away. You're going to need all the time in the world to go through it and make sure these accusations being made are accurate. And when they give it in drips and drabs, here's a prime example. It took a year and a half. I don't even think the defense got that. The new prosecutor went through it and decided to drop the case. If the defense had it, they would have pulled the phones and I'm sure went to the judge and said everything they're claiming is inaccurate because there's no videos of what they're claiming. None of that exists. And I don't think people are aware of that. I think people believe when you get indicted, you're handed all the discovery, which is basically all the evidence against you from day one. But you're not. You're giving it in rounds. A lot of the time on the federal level, you're giving it in rounds. You know, and you get round one throughout the whole throughout the whole case. And they and they could just keep giving rounds, like rolling, rolling rounds right up until trial. And how is that fair in any sense of the word? How can you get discovery, say a month out of trial, that what if you need to investigate? What if you need to hire a private investigator to confirm say a statement that's made by an alleged witness and you have a month to do that. How are you going to get that done? How are you going to get that executed? The government has all the time in the world, the resources and the personnel, and they have the information from day one. Shouldn't that be given to the defense from day one since you're already behind, you know, uh, trying to, to fight your case? You're already on the back burner. You're already starting late in the race. You have to play catch-up throughout the whole time until trial comes. You're playing catch-up. You're trying to understand everything that they had to build their case. Some of these investigations, say they go on for five years, ten years. The last one I was part of uh, went on for 20 years. A 20-year investigation. So for 20 years, they've been building and, 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 and absorbing and understanding all the evidence, all the supposed uh, evidence and discovery. And now they give it to defense counsel on a rolling basis. And let's say, you know, you're two years out from trial. You have two years to get up to speed, but you're not getting everything within that two, uh, at the two-year mark, at the beginning of the two years. So you'll get a piece a couple months in, then another piece a couple months in, then another cut. Co- so your time just gets shorter and shorter to digest everything. 
and to go through all the evidence. And today's day and age, a lot of the evidence is um, cell phones, so you got to go through all pictures, you got to go through records, you got to go through cell sites, as we spoke about. So you're handing all of that to a defendant on a rolling basis to prepare for trial, and you could give it to them, you know, a month before trial. I've even seen cases where the judge will order a deadline for the prosecutor. Well, you have to give discovery by this date, which is maybe a few months before trial, and they don't give it. They'll still keep it rolling, and there's no repercussions for that. How is that allowed? Imagine the defense missing a date that was issued by the judge. Imagine the judge gives the defense, uh, you know, October 1st to put in your motions. And the defense says, ah, we're going to give it in on, on October 15th. Guess what? Your motion's not getting read. They're going to say you missed the deadline. That's not allowed. But the the prosecutor or the attorneys of the state, they're allowed to miss deadlines. I, I've seen it happen. The judge will set a deadline. All discovery has to be included by this day. Everybody's on the same page. And then months go by, weeks go by, and more is coming in. And now you're playing catch up. And you try to raise the issue and it's 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 not even acknowledged. It's like not a big deal. Ah, well, they missed the deadline. What are you going to do? These things just make zero sense and they shouldn't make any sense to anybody out there. Whether hopefully nobody has to deal with this type of, you know, listeners don't have to deal with it. But the reality is a lot of people do. A lot of families do have to deal with the justice system. And to just think that you have to, you know, wait it out to start preparing for your case and your defense team has to wait it out you just have people sitting waiting to get more information say you go through you know you get round one discovery you go through it you dissect everything you're prepared now you may have two three months for the next round it makes zero sense it should all be given this way the defense team could strategize allocate who's going to take what manage who's handling what aspect of it and have each member of that team execute their part You have a lot of audio, say you want to designate certain members of your staff just listening to the audio, picking up anything helpful. It's a rushed experience when it really shouldn't be because from the time you get indicted to the time trial is you do have usually, you know, some time. And the general public thinks that, you know, they'll think, oh, well, they have two years to prepare. That's really not true because you're getting things so spaced out that you don't have that kind of time. You may have gotten round one when you got indicted, but now you've you've done that. Within a month, you have that all done. You have it all outlined, dissected, pulled apart. You understand it, but now you're wait, waiting for the other rounds, round two, round three. There was something like 20-something rounds the last case I was on. May have been like, yeah, it was in the 20s, I'm pretty sh- pretty sure. And it just kept coming throughout the whole entire two years. Just kept going, and and date and dates were missed where they were supposed to be finished. It just kept coming and rolling out. We had to get new information, learn about it. I mean, even the um, when you think about that, as far as scheduling, what they do is they have the what's called the thirty five hundred material on a federal level, where it's it's all the statements and all the proffer sessions, you know, where the uh, alleged witness, supposed witnesses sit down with the government and they talk about everything, you know, they spill the beans on everything they want to discuss, everything to help them save themselves and, and you know, um, talk about the defendants. You don't get those till a few, maybe a month before trial, and it's thousands of, of pieces of paper, I kid you not. 
It's thousands of pieces of paper. And some of the pieces of papers are handwritten. So you have to decipher whether it's on purpose or not, I don't know. But, you know, coincidentally, a lot of the people writing these notes have horrible handwriting. I have horrible handwriting. I've, I've always had it. But you know what I do? I type instead because I don't want somebody having to read my terrible handwriting. My penmanship has always been terrible. That's why I'm, I taught myself how to type at a young age. This way people don't have to endure that. But if you're writing something important, you would figure it would have to be typed. So you don't spend, I mean, you could spend an hour trying to just make out words because you can't even read the person's handwriting who took the notes. So this is important information that affects your client. And the first thing you got to be worried about is deciphering this person's poor penmanship so you could even understand what is being said in the first place. And now say you mess up a few words or you don't understand a few words or you think it says something else. That could be detrimental to the case. That could be a major problem in the case, all because, whether it's intentional or not, somebody wrote something very poorly, and you can't make it out. Things like that, you figure there'd be systems in place. You know, you have 3,500, every piece of paper's got to be typed out. No ifs, ands, or buts. But all of that is used to the advantage of the state or the government. It's all used to their advantage. Those are all little tricks. Other thing I noticed, which was done a lot, is there was a lot of bloatware put on um, Discovery. You know, so you get the hard drive, and there'd be a lot of, like, um, software packages and things like that uh, to open some of the Discovery. But in addition to that, there was a lot of bloatware stuck in there. And that just fills it up. So somebody who's not familiar with what they're looking at, they don't know if that's an actual document. They don't know if it's an actual file. Then by the time they, they figure it out, they wasted a ton of time. There's a lot of little tricks that I noticed when you're digging into these things and you're looking at it that just delay and make life hard for those trying to fight the case. And it's all loud, it's all acceptable, and it's on you to, to fight it. And it's just very frustrating when you see all these things that take place and all these tricks that are used just to really hinder the defense. And none of that is part of a fair system. It's really not. You know, another thing that was uh, bothering me was I was on, uh, and like I said, today's episode, I guess I'm all over the place, but I just had a few things, but busy with work, and there was a few things I, that stuck in my mind that I wanted to talk about on the podcast. I try to connect on a bit of a human level as well and just tell some experience that, unfortunately, maybe people can relate to. And I was at a visit at MDC, and when we were leaving... Uh, an inmate and a guard got into a, an argument. And the MDC is the Metropolitan Detention Center. It's in Brooklyn. And an inmate and the guard got into an argument. The, the guard apparently said something very nasty about the inmate's son, who's a little kid who was on the visit, and then the wife started fighting. And what's terrible is the guard was trying to embarrass the inmate. Zero respect, abusing him in front of the whole visiting room. And as whether you're a man or a woman, you don't want it to be spoke to like that. I mean, they already have you... You, you, they already have power over you. And, you know, it's a shame that that's allowed. You figure God would step in and just try to defuse it. But they were allowed to abuse the inmate. And, of course, the, the inmate's not going to back down. He's not going to get abused. So he's fighting back and forth. So I'm sure when we left, that guy really got put through the ringer. But it, it just goes to show the character of people. If you're in a position of power and you're a guard, 
there's no reason to make somebody's experience that much harder. Just treat everybody with respect. Just do the right thing. If you get disrespected, you're dealing with a problem, that's a whole different ball game. But to come out and just start abusing people and make snide remarks that's going to set somebody off, and then when they respond to it, you abuse them and you try to ridicule them because you know they're not winning. They're in jail. There's nothing they can do to win that battle. They're in jail. And to just agitate the the situation, you would figure the personnel there would have the demeanor where they try to calm a situation because everybody in there it's already a, a hostile environment uh, you know emotions are already high people are meeting with their loved ones they're facing trial whatever the situation may be you're dealing with you know people who are accused of a crime some are guilty and it's just a it's an intense situation why would they have somebody with the character that's so combative somebody that's looking for a fight rather than just try to defuse the situation Somebody that's nasty and has a, a miserable attitude. Why would that even be in the pig? You know, I can't understand those things. If I ran that type of facility, that would be the last type of individual I would want working for me. I would want people who are serious. They know how to deal with a situation, but they're not going to agitate things. They're not going to abuse people. They're not going to create drama when there doesn't need to be. They're not going to create conflict. And they're going to try to keep the, te- the tempo nice and smooth, nice and slow. And when I saw that, regardless of who was right, who was wrong, me personally, I think the guard was 100% wrong because from what I heard, uh, and I even heard it, she like said something nasty about the little kid and he was like two years old or something. And of course, the mom got upset by that, which I don't blame her. She's defending us. And then, of course, the uh, inmate got upset. That's his family. And rather than try to defuse it, she tried abusing the inmate in front of everybody, just mocking him trying to goad him almost to do something so that they could really, really put the screws to the guy. And I guarantee nothing happened uh, to this guard. I guarantee, you know, she'll still be there on visits, still with the miserable attitude, still with the nasty attitude. I mean, even me, when I go there, I always try to be a gentleman to people, regardless, I'll try to, you know, say thank you. There's no response, no, no, uh, no acknowledgement at all. By a lot of a lot of the guards, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them, and I just laugh to myself because you're in a position where you have to deal with people. It may not be an ideal situation, but there's nothing wrong with having a little common courtesy and, and a little respect and a little bit of manners where you just reciprocate. If somebody says "How are you?" you can answer back very well. How are you? But none of that takes place. You know, you try you try to say those things and you just get the blank. The blank stare. And I just find it amusing because they're in a position of power there. So it's almost like they're on a power trip. Rather than just trying to do their job, accept that they're dealing with people, try to make things a little easier for the families. I'm not saying you got to be, you know, with a big smile on your face and, you know, doing, uh, you know, making jokes. That's not what I'm saying. No, just be a little pleasant. You're dealing with the people. You don't got to be miserable and you don't got to agitate the situation. You you don't got to create Tension, unnecessarily. There's already enough tension in the room. Families are going through a lot. Inmates are going through a lot. You don't need to enhance that. Zero reason for that. That just tells me you have poor character. You're a miserable person. And, and you know, that that's who you are as a person. You just like to do those things. And you want to be in a position of power to abuse somebody. And it's just, 
to me, it's ridiculous and it's very frustrating. I mean, seeing that, I was very frustrated. And I really did feel for the inmate. I felt for the for the the mother of the child because you don't need to deal with that. You're, it's already stressful. Going there is already stressful. I mean, anybody who's visited a loved one, it's stressful. There's a ton of people. You're fighting for the vending machines. You know, it's chaos. Even when I would go on professional visits, it's so much better. You know, on a professional visit, at least you're, you're, you're separated a little. You're, you're isolated in your room. It's a little different. You go in you go in differently. You don't got to go in with everybody. You get let in differently. So it's a much better experience. But when you go on a personal visit in some of these facilities, it's an absolute nightmare. So everybody's already stressed out. And then you got to deal with that on top of it. You got to deal with somebody saying something about your kid or saying something nasty to your husband or your wife. It's absurd. And I don't know how those running these type of facilities don't get a handle on that. And don't just grasp. It's not about being happy, being, you know, uh, overly nice. It's just about respect. Just treat everybody with respect. And you'll get treated with respect. From, you know, my experience, I very rarely see an inmate or whatever they may be there for. I very rarely see, for no reason starting a fight or starting an argument with a guard. I've never witnessed that once. I don't think it's in their best interest to, so I I find it hard to believe that that would just happen from left field. Something has to kick that off. So if I'm running that facility, I would make sure those in charge and those who control that would do everything they can to minimize those type of situations. But I don't know. You know, that's just me. That's how I try to conduct things, even in life. I always treat everybody with respect. I I, I try to, you know, even if I'm not, there's plenty of times I had to work with people I wasn't crazy about, personally. And if it was personally, I would probably tell them, you know, (laughs) what I had to tell them. But in a business relationship, you got to put those feelings aside and you got to get the job done. Same concept there. Just get the job done. Whether you like individuals, you don't just get the job done and don't don't add anything that's going to disrupt that. And speaking of working with individuals that, you know, you may not get along with, it's important for a trend I noticed when I got involved in this business is a lot of the defendants, unfortunately, are hands off. And what I mean is they'll give the case to their attorneys and they'll rely on everything the attorney's saying and they'll just, you know, um, let them kind of play it out. And as an as a individual where I've experienced it, with family members on the personal side and also on the professional side, I honestly highly advise against that. You you want to be involved. You really do. You want to see the dynamic of your team. Because I've experienced it firsthand where you may have a member of the team who's really a disaster and they're almost shielding themselves with the other members. They're trying to utilize the other members of the team to either make themselves look good or not do the work that they were paid, that you paid them to do. They'll try to pass the buck a lot. And that's when you really know you're dealing with somebody who's there for a payday. You know, you want to hold them accountable. Where I talk about accountability on the other end, you want to hold your team accountable. You know, if somebody tells you they're going to do X, Y, and Z, and you paid them to do X, Y, and Z, and you may have two or three attorneys on the case, and you find out they're trying to hand off to a younger attorney or a different attorney the tasks that they promised to do, to me, that's a problem. It may not be a problem for others, but to me, I I have a problem with that. If I hire you specifically to do a job, I don't want you handing it off to somebody else. Otherwise, what am I paying you for? 
And, you know, I experienced that, but the difference with my personality is when, I, when I'm dealing with that, if I'm dealing with somebody who's toxic or I'm dealing with somebody who almost as time goes on, I realize they really don't know what they're doing. And unfortunately, I was hoodwinked where I thought this person was capable of handling the assignments. And then I found out as time went on, it was really just BS and they're not. I get rid of that person. I don't want them as part of the team because everybody's going to suffer. It's going to bring down the dynamic of the attorneys involved. It's going to bring down the morale. Uh, they're not going to want to work as hard because in their head they're going to say, regardless of what they're doing, just human nature. If you don't want to work somebody, you're going to be dis disheartened. You're going to be like, I don't want to deal with this person. I don't like them. They're miserable. They're making my life harder. So if you see it's really that kind of effect on the team, you got to drop them. You really do because I know when somebody's life is on the line, you want to make sure every member of that team is ready to go and they're fighting for you and they're not fighting amongst themselves. And that's what I mean by being involved. You know, you could ask them to keep you involved on the emails uh, that, that's going on, what's going on with the motions. You want to see the motions as they're going, going through the stages. And that's what my firm does. My firm tries to keep everybody in the loop. We take direction from the attorneys, but the, if the attorneys advise us, you know, just make the client aware of this, I try to make sure the client knows each stage of the process and where we're at, what's going to be filed, let him see the draft, him or her see the drafts, any input. A lot of times the clients have phenomenal input. You want to get that in there. You know, that's the whole part of a team. So it's just, you know, for those defendants or the families, just take my advice on that. You want to be involved in that. Don't think you just hand it off and they handle it. Try to be involved in it. Try to see what's going on. Try to have meetings. Try to be in the loop. And if you see there's a member of the team who isn't doing what you hired them to do and pretty much sold you a false bag of goods, you got to make a change on that. Because there's, you know, in any business, it's not just the legal. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who in the times comes to work hard they just don't want to be bothered and one thing I always believed in and I just it's a philosophy I have there may be people who are smarter than me but there's never going to be anybody who's going to outwork me ever I'll I'll go as long as I got to go because that's one thing I could control I could control how hard I work and my work ethic so I'll never have somebody outwork me they may match me but they're not going to outwork me and I try to make sure when you're dealing with a team, you have people of the like minds where, you know, you, something comes up and you got to get a hold of them. It shouldn't be this big waiting period and shouldn't, you got to make sure each member of the team is running like a fine, you know, a welly, a well-oiled machine. And if you have a little rusty part, you got to change that part out. And I tell you from experience, I've experienced it and I've seen how as trial came close, one of the members of the team almost like fell apart. It's almost like they imploded. They were concerned about trial. They couldn't. And then as I was asking things, you know, you, when you're dealing with something and you know all the information, you know right away if somebody's BSing you, if they absorb the information, if they understand it, and if they're going to execute. You know right away when you talk to them. You know if they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes. So the second I saw that, that's it. That member's got to go. And when I saw the interaction with other team members and even co-defendants uh, co counsel, and I saw really nobody wanted to deal with this person, they got to go because that's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt you. Everybody's got to work together on a team. 
And again, you don't got to like each other. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when it affects your dynamic, if somebody's that toxic, that's a big problem. That's a big problem because every member of the team should be able to work with one another, even if they don't like. But when you have that one person who just can't work with anybody, there's always a problem. They're gossiping about other people. I mean, even that alone, when you're in a professional environment, who gossips? Keep that nonsense at home. Get the job done. Go gossip on your own time. I don't want to hear it. Even as the defendant, I don't want to hear about another attorney not doing this. I don't want to hear about that. Just do your job, and I'll manage everybody, and I'll make sure everybody's doing their job. When you start getting an individual who's, who's doing that and creating problems, they got to go. Because your life's on the line. You cannot be distracted with that utter nonsense. Your life is on the line. So you got to do whatever you can to make sure you have the a prime team ready to go when that trial date comes. And I know sometimes it's difficult because you may have given them money and then you're out that money, but you have to look at it. First off, you're not out that money because there's ways of getting that back. You could even go on the internet. You could search if you have a, if you have an attorney who conducted themselves unethically or uh, breached contracts. So there's ways of getting that back. It's a process. Don't get me wrong. It's a process. But you can get that back. You'd want to see every item, every hour work. There, there are ways of getting that back. And you could get uh, different organizations involved and different people involved to help you get that back. It's going to take time. But you can get whole again to a certain extent if the person's a difficult person and they don't want to give you anything back. But most of the attorneys I dealt with are, are reasonable uh, individuals and they're professionals. And even if it doesn't work out, uh, we parted ways in a professional manner. And there's no hard feelings. Uh, one, not so much. One was complete opposite of that. I'm not going to get into that. but So the point is, I know it's a hard decision to make, but just realize the the problems you will have are greater if you don't make that decision. If you keep going and you see things are just a constant battle internally amongst your team, you got to make a change. You already have enough headaches to deal with with the opposition. You don't need internal headaches. And that's how I look at things. And that's uh, really it for today. I just, you know, I had a few things. I wanted to just talk to my listeners. Um, sometimes I enjoy these sessions where it's it's almost therapeutic. <laughs> and uh, if anybody has any ideas or comments, let me know what you think of the direction of the show. Any feedback, i like to see it in the comments section. And as always, any emails you want to send, just send it to info at justicetechpros.com. And you could put podcast in the subject if, if there's anything you want to say or you want something read on the air in relation to the whole theme. And also don't forget to subscribe so as episodes come out, you know, you get a notification for that. I hope what I'm doing here is enlightening certain individuals and educating potential jurors and just bringing to light things that go on behind the scenes, not in the in the books and not what we see and not what we hear, but behind the scenes to those who are affected personally, professionally, all around. And I thank you for tuning in. Until next time.